Our sermon this morning comes from Genesis chapter 18 because we're in the midst of a sermon series on the life of Abraham. And we've entitled this series, Finding Faith in a Fallen World. And so we've been looking at the life of Abraham, and today we're going to focus more on Abraham's wife, Sarah, than we really do on Abraham. I think that many of us will relate to Sarah or know folks who will relate to Sarah. And the reason I think that is true is because many times this life does not work out for us the way we had hoped that it would. Sometimes to many of us it seems like the promises of God are not really true for us. Sometimes the promises of God seem like they come true for other people, but they don't really seem to happen for us. I talk to people sometimes who say, I ask God for, and then they tell me about some circumstance in their life when God didn't come through for them the way that he hoped that they would, and then they say things to me like, God wasn't there for me when I asked for this, so why should I be there for him? And in our pain, in our hurt, that is inevitable in a fallen world, we can become angry at God. We can become bitter with the things that have happened in our lives. And for many of us, that comes out in the form of cynicism. We become cynical. And if we're really pressed, we'll say, you know, it's not that I'm cynical or pessimistic. I'm just realistic. And we guard our hearts. And we advise people, don't get your hopes up and you won't be disappointed. Maybe you've been in that place. Maybe you're in that place now. We all certainly know people who have been are even now in that place. Well, I want you to know that Sarah, Abraham's wife, was in that place here in Genesis chapter 18. And it's easy to understand why. Let me give you a little bit of the history, why she would be in that place, before I read Genesis 18. If you go all the way back, I've read all the places where Sarah is referred to in the Bible this week. And if you go back, the very first time she's mentioned in Genesis chapter 11, we're told there's Abram and his wife Sarah. And the first thing we're told, Sarah is barren. And then if we don't know what that means, the text emphasizes she could have no kids. Now that was a very difficult time. That's a difficult thing in any time or in any culture and in any place, but especially in the ancient Near East at this point in time, a woman who could not have kids was broken hearted. Many folks look at them and say, well, they must have sinned against God or God must be mad at them in some way. They must have done something wrong or their parents or their husband did something wrong. They're cursed by God. Children were 
so necessary at this time to carry on the family just for survival. They were necessary to, to work, to make the household work. They were certainly your retirement security were your children. And so to not be able to have children in this day and time was devastating. But in Genesis chapter 12, when Abraham was 75 years old and Sarah was 65 years old, God promised Abraham that God would bless Abraham, that he would make his name great, and that through Abraham's offspring, through his children, that God would bless all families of the earth. Certainly, even at their advanced age, that must have given Abraham and Sarah some, some hope, something to look forward to. What she'd always dreamed of or hoped for was finally going to come true. But if you read the scripture and you keep going in the story, 10 years pass, a decade. Abraham's now 85 Sarah is now 75, and they still have no children. And in Genesis 16, which we've already covered, you could go back and listen to this, what an awful story, that's the sermon. And so all these things that are awful in the story, yes, I call them awful in the sermon, go back and read that. But for today, what I want you to remember from Genesis chapter 16 is that Sarah... After this 10 years of having her hopes up and then seemed to be dashed, she's angry. She's bitter. She's not going to wait on the Lord. She says in Genesis 16 and verse 2, she goes to Abraham and she says, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Not biology, not anatomy. Not sin in a fallen world. Not Abraham. I mean, they're not in, there are no fertility clinics in this day. It could have been Abraham. It could have been Sarah. We don't know why they couldn't have kids. But she says, the Lord has prevented me from having kids. And so in her anger and her bitterness and her desire, her impatience to not wait on God to work, she offers her handmaiden, Hagar, to her husband Abraham to be a second wife to him. And that was a thing in that culture. It was written in some of the ancient law codes, the Code of Hammurabi, others. It never worked out very well because there were also provisions of the law of how to handle the, the uh, inevitable consequences of taking such an action. And so Sarah offers her handmaiden to her husband, Abraham, as a second wife. I don't know, maybe she thought that Abraham might refuse. Maybe she thought it would prove that Abraham was the one that was infertile. But Abraham accepted her offer. And her husband goes and sleeps with her handmaiden. And Hagar becomes pregnant with Abraham's child. And as you might imagine, everything changes at that point. It changes between Sarah and Hagar. Sarah says, Hagar has great contempt for me. 
She doesn't do what I say where she looks at me with contempt. And maybe that's in Sarah's head. Maybe it's a reality. I don't know. But that's the way she felt. Things were forever changed between Sarah and Abraham. Certainly there must be feelings of jealousy, feelings of inadequacy. This other woman is giving you a child. She's doing for you what I could not do. Perhaps Abraham is even a little bit excited. Who wouldn't be about having a child finally after all these years? And it was crushing to Sarah. And she dealt harshly, the scripture tells us, with Hagar. And she spoke harshly and crassly to Abraham. No wonder she's angry. She's bitter. She's cynical after all that has happened. Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 17. By this time, Abraham is 99 years old. Sarah is 89 years old. Abraham's son has been born to Hagar. Hagar and Ishmael have lived in their midst now for 13 years. The second wife. And the son that she could not provide for her husband have lived with them for 13 years, in their midst. And in Genesis 17, after these 13 more years, 25 years since the initial promise was made, God makes this covenant of circumcision, and Ishmael is circumcised. But at that time, God promises that Sarah herself will have a son. And that her son will be the son of her. But it's been 25 years now of living through this. Of hearing promises. Of getting your hopes up. Of having your hopes dashed. And Sarah's having none of it. God changes her name from Sarai, which means princess, to Sarah, which means princess. Thanks for the name change. Supposed to signify this is a new day. But for Sarah, it didn't seem to be a new day. Sarah is angry and bitter and cynical. She's not going to get her hopes up so that she won't be disappointed because life has not worked out for her the way that she thought that it would. And God's promises seem to be true for other people, but not for her we can understand why she would respond the way that she would respond maybe you feel that way or you know folks who look at the world in that way well i want to read genesis 18 and what i want you to focus on what we're going to focus on the rest of this time and what i want you to listen for is not so much Abraham and not so much Sarah because they're not the heroes of this story what I want you to focus on as I read these 15 verses is this how does God respond because that's the hero of the story how does God respond to people who are angry and bitter and cynical and have not had life go their way how does God respond to people like that 
please look for that as you give your attention to the reading of God's word. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15 of Genesis 18. I'll pray for us, and then we'll dig in. Hear now God's word. And the Lord appeared to him, that's Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it, make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have this pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son." But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, life is broken and messed up in this world. And many of us bear the scars and the wounds from our own sin and from ways we've been sinned against. And in our pain and our hurt, we often become angry with you for allowing this to happen. We become bitter about how life has turned out. We can be cynical in our own hearts and the way that we lean into the world not believing your promises, not believing that you are good. And so, Father, I pray now that you would come to us just as you came to Sarah and that you would speak to us just as you spoke to Sarah and that you would meet us in our doubts and our anger and our bitterness and our cynicism, that you would meet us in that place and that just as you did with Sarah, you would gently restore us. That you would renew our hearts, that you would renew our faith in you. Father, I confess, no preacher can lead us to that kind of a revival in our own hearts. Only you can do that by your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you, are, you would come, you are welcome in this place. I pray that you would do the work only you can do.
And I do ask that you would use even the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher to accomplish your purposes in the lives of your people. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we're asking the question, how does God respond to one who is angry, who is bitter, who is cynical, who doesn't get their hopes up anymore so that they won't be disappointed? How does God respond to a person like that? Number one, the Lord comes to them. The Lord comes to them. You see it there in verse 1, right? And the Lord appeared to him, that's Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Now the narrator tells us that the Lord shows up, so we know it's the Lord. But it's not clear to Abraham and Sarah that that's who's showing up. And if you look in verse 2, it just says he lifted up his eyes and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And Abraham just feeds them. Some folks say his his hospitality is so good, maybe he thought it was the Lord. No, this is just the culture of the day. A good Bedouin, a good nomad in the desert would provide this kind of hospitality. Now, Abraham does go above and beyond. Usually a, a lamb or a goat would be enough. He gets a young calf. He goes over and above what you would normally do for someone out of his graciousness. And he does, he is a good host here, and Abram is very hospitable to them. But he doesn't seem to know who they are. Hebrews 13 and verse 2 seems to refer to this event when we're told that we should not neglect to show hospitality to strangers because some have entertained angels unawares. So Abram doesn't seem to know who this is. They're just preparing a meal for these three what appears to be men who are traveling. But we know that the Lord has come to them. We're told that in verse 1, so that we know who has appeared. And in the story, they come to know at some point. I love verse 6 where Abram runs in quickly to the tent and says, Sarah, quick, make these cakes of flour. I imagine Sarah saying, oh, I'm your short order cook now, am I? Can't have kids, but you come running in here when you need a meal for somebody. I guess I am good for something. He doesn't order Hagar to do it. Maybe Sarah orders her to help. We don't know. But that seems to be the nature of the relationship that they have. And in verse 9, they, the three men, said to Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. And then it seems to dawn on him, oh, wait a minute, how do you know my wife's name? Hasn't been mentioned so far in the text, unless they heard them talking. And then in verse 10, we're told, the Lord said... I will surely return to you about this time next year and your wife Sarah shall have a son. Now there's only one person who's been talking to Abraham about Sarah having a baby. And that's God. 25 years ago he made that promise in Genesis chapter 12. Earlier uh, within a year of this event happening he has restated that in Genesis 17 that specifically Sarah will have a son. And so when this 
what appears to be a man says she will have a son, Abraham knows at this point that this is the Lord. Because only the Lord could know her name. Only the Lord would know what he had promised. Later, only the Lord would know what her internal thoughts are. That she laughed to herself, that she thought these things in her head. But Abram at this point knows that the Lord has come to them. Listen to me. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you're cynical. Maybe you know folks who are. The Lord still comes to people who are in that place. The Lord still comes in his graciousness. I implore you to listen for him and look for him. Because listen, you may not recognize that it's him at first. He moves in mysterious ways and, and speaks to us through things that we may not think that he would use at first. But if you're in that place where Sarah is, I encourage you, be looking for the Lord to show up. Because he's so faithful. How does God respond to people who are angry and bitter and cynical? He comes to them. We see that very clearly here in the text. But second, what does the Lord do? The Lord speaks to them. The Lord speaks to folks who are in this place. Maybe not directly, but certainly indirectly. This is a conversation the Lord has with Abraham, but Sarah overhears it, right? You see that in verses 10, 9, and 10. They say, where is Sarah? Why do you think they say, where is Sarah? Does the Lord not know where Sarah is? Of course he does. Why does he say, where is Sarah? Well, any women who are in here who have been preparing food in the kitchen and people are out there, you already know the answer to this question. If you hear your name in the conversation going on in the meal, you immediately start listening, right? We would all do that. They ask, where is Sarah? Because they want to get her attention. They want her to be listening. She does what any of us would do she begins to listen to their conversation. And then the Lord speaks, not directly to Sarah, to Abraham. He speaks. And he says, this time next year, I will surely return to you, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. <laughs> not just she's going to be pregnant. Not just she's going to have a baby. She'll have a son. You know, we, didn't, we weren't able to tell the sex of babies at this time, right? Not before they're born. <laughs> and so the Lord is saying she's going to conceive, and she's going to have a child, and it's going to be a son, and it's going to be in the next year. The Lord speaks, and he clarifies his promise. Listen to me, when you're in this place, I know it's hard to hear. But I call you to look for the Lord because he comes to people who are angry and bitter and have been hurt, and listen for him to speak, even indirectly through other things, through other people, in other ways. Because the Lord loves to come and to speak to folks who are in this place. What else does he do? Number three, the Lord deals with her doubts. 
And the Lord comes to people in this place and he deals with their doubts. It's easy for her to doubt, isn't it? It's been 25 years since she first heard this promise. She's heard it again recently in Genesis 17 and she's just at the point that she's done. Not getting my hopes up anymore. Just leads to disappointment and more hurt. Her circumstances keep her from being able to hear and believe. You see what she says there in verse 11. The narrator tells us Abraham and Sarah were old. Thanks. They're 99 and 89 at this point in time. The narrator says in verse 11, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She's no longer having her cycle. She's already gone through menopause. She's not dropping eggs to be fertilized. The text is telling us. So it's understandable in verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself. This is laughable. It's the laugh of cynicism, isn't it? Yeah, right. Sure I am going to have a baby in a year. After I am worn out, the word means useless. It, it means that the thing no longer serves the purpose for which it was intended. It's the same word used of the children of Israel when they're wandering in the desert, that their clothes don't wear out. They're still useful for the purpose that they were given. And she uses that same word and says, after I'm old and I'm worn out, I'm useless. I'm not no longer serving the purpose for which I was intended. And she says, my Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? Now when I read that, I think to myself that she's saying, I will never have the pleasure of having a child. It's not what she's saying. This word for pleasure means sensual pleasure, sexual pleasure. What she's saying is, I'm not even having sex with Abraham anymore. These days we might say that she's saying, it's been a long time since my husband has touched me. Or a long time since I've allowed him to touch me. And we can understand why in the circumstances that we've looked at, why that may be. And that's where Sarah is in this place. At this time, that's how she responds now think about this. God himself has just appeared in a human form and is speaking and she hears him saying this. Listen, many of you who are angry and bitter and cynical, you say to yourself, well, if God appeared to me and said this is the truth, then I would respond, but he just doesn't appear and speak that clearly to me. Listen, no, you wouldn't. You would laugh just like this. I think of the parable Jesus tells where the parable of Abraham and Lazarus and the poor man goes home to be with the Lord is at Abram's side in Abram's bosom. And then the rich man who he lived close to dies and says, Lord, would you send Lazarus back to tell my family that they could avoid this situation and Jesus says they've got Moses and the prophets they don't believe that even someone being raised from the dead and coming back is not going to convince them 
The liturgy this morning has been fantastic, leading us to the place of saying only God can change a heart. Only God can open our ears. If you're in this place, I would say cry out to God and ask him to speak and ask him to give you ears to hear. And if there's someone you love who is in this place, listen, yes, gently remind them of the promises of God, but listen, they can't hear. You ought to be talking to the Lord at least as much as you're talking to them, asking the Lord to open their ears and to open their heart, because it's hard to hear in, when you're in this place. The Lord asked two questions. Look at verse 13. The Lord said to Abram, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? (laughs) Well, why do you think she laughed? You know why she laughed? Because of all this stuff we've talked about. You may hear that question, and it makes you even angrier. Notice in that question, though, what he does not say. He doesn't repeat all those ugly things she says about herself, that she's worn out, that she's useless. He doesn't repeat that self-deprecating language. The Lord is so gentle with saying, why did she? He wants her to think about why she's laughing. And more importantly, he wants her to think about who he is. The next question is, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then he restates the promise with more clarity. He's so gentle. What a wonderful counselor he is. I just want you to take a moment and think about that question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord. I know we talked about blocking out the world, but let's be honest. When we come in here, we bring the things that cause anxiety in our hearts. We bring them in here with us. And whatever thing that is that's on your mind that nags at you, I just ask you, is anything too hard for the Lord? Ask that question about that thing. Is it too hard for God to change your heart? To change the heart of your loved one? Is it too hard for God to make you useful and fruitful? Is it too hard for God to heal your body? Is it too hard for God to provide for your family? Is it too hard for God to give you good community, to give you friends, to give you connection to people that your heart has longed for? Is it too hard for God to heal your marriage, to restore your intimacy? Is it too hard for God to save angry and bitter and cynical people that you pray for? What are you worried about today? I ask you, is anything too hard for the Lord? I imagine someone who is in that place where Sarah is, who's angry and bitter, who's been hurt, who's cynical, they hate the first question, why did you laugh? Well, because of all this stuff, are you not aware of what's going on in the world? 
But sometimes the second question makes people angry too. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And when I say that to people, their response often in the place where they're, their response is this, no, nothing's too hard for the Lord. And I asked him for this thing that's within his power to do it and he didn't fill in the blank, heal my marriage. He didn't save my child. He didn't heal my body, my mother, my father, whatever it is that has wounded them. He didn't bring my parent back. He didn't save my parents' marriage. And it almost makes them more angry that nothing's too hard for the Lord, and he didn't do what I wanted him to do. And it makes me think he hates me more. That if he's all-powerful, he's not all-good. He can do what I want him to do, but he just won't do it. I can understand that. My heart gets that way too. I've got it all planned out how it should be. Make notes, keep it in notebooks. Got files on it. Save it on my computer. Keep it on my phone. Use it as a prayer list to pray it. I got it all planned out, Lord. I just need you to come do it. Listen to me. What are we assuming when we do that? Because we're making an assumption there. And of course, the assumption is, (laughs) I know what is best for me. The assumption is, you know what is best for your life. Isn't that what's behind your anger? I know how this should have gone and you didn't do what I wanted so you're wrong and you're bad. We're honest with ourselves. We're really assuming that we know better than what God knows. Listen, I say this as gently, but as directly as I know how. There's a lot of pride and arrogance in that, that anger and that bitterness and that cynicism toward God. Ask him to show that to you. Because the truth is God knows more than what we know. <laughs> and God knows what is best for you better than you know what is best for you and better than I know what is best for me or better than I know what is best for this church the question is will we trust him are we willing to say not my will but your will Lord these are the desires of my heart yet not my will but your will be or will we cling to our arrogant assumption that we know better how life should have gone we can hang on to that idea if we want but that's how we arrive at anger and bitterness and cynicism The Lord comes to folks who are in this place. The Lord speaks to them. The Lord deals with their doubts. And fourth, I want you to see here, that may seem harsh what I just said, but listen to me. The fourth thing is the Lord is so gentle in this. He's so gentle here. 
Do you see how gentle it is? I mean, think back in Genesis 15 when God appears to Abraham. Remember, makes that covenant with Abraham back in Genesis 15. There's the dread darkness. And animals are torn apart, lying in pieces on the ground. Blood is everywhere. God appears in fire and in smoke. And to the original audience that's first reading this story, that Exodus generation that have come out of Egypt, come out of their slavery, and in Exodus 19, they see God descend on Mount Sinai in thunder and in lightning and in a thick cloud of smoke with a loud voice, and they tremble in fear. So to Abraham... And the original audience reading this for the first time, they must have been quite surprised to see the Lord show up here as a man. (laughs) Three men, is that a reference to the Trinity? I don't know. Perhaps the Lord and a couple of angels, I don't know who it was. But they appear as three men. Not very scary at all. And the Lord asked two questions. Why did you laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And then restates the promise. And Sarah laughs. Can you imagine? God appears to me in the flesh one time and comes and speaks to me and I laughed in his face. It's got to be hard to carry for the rest of your life. And not only does she laugh in his face, she lies. She says, I didn't laugh. And he's so, he says, no, but but you did. (laughs) You did laugh. We often think the God of the Old Testament is so mean and angry and the God of the New Testament is so gracious. You understand that in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Spirit and they fall down dead. Here we are in the Old Testament. She lies. And he says, no, but you did laugh. Oh, he's so gentle. He's so gentle. And Sarah at some point comes to the point of belief. Hebrews 11 tells us in verse 11 that by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Sarah evidently risks being disappointed because in Genesis 21, when we'll get there, we'll see that she has a son. So this is not the end of Sarah's story. You can read it in Genesis 21 and we'll get there in the sermon series. But I want us to stop here today and just think about a few takeaways that we might have from the text. I hear a lot of folks, people making application. This text is kind of disturbing to me. Some folks say, well, the application is be hospitable. (laughs) I think that's true. The New Testament tells us to do that. I don't think that's the main point of this story. I heard one preacher say, Sarah had sex with her husband by faith. Go and do likewise. Yeah, you want the application to be that, don't you? And there's an element of truth to that. God could have given her a child 
without reuniting her to her husband, but there seems to be a reconciliation that happens, a restoration of their marriage that happens, that she has to, by faith, move back towards her husband, and he has to move back toward her. Some folks look at this text and say, look, just believe in whatever it is that you want and step out in faith and God will do whatever you want, even things that seem impossible because nothing is too hard for God. And I'm not really sure that's exactly the application. God can do whatever it is you want him to do. That's true. But that's also what God characterizes as a curse in Romans chapter 1, that he gives people over to what they want. Anybody who has a child knows just giving a human being everything that they want is not necessarily a good thing. And certainly for our Heavenly Father, that's true as well. I think the application is closer to God keeps his promises to his people even when it looks impossible. God keeps his promises to his people even when the circumstances seem like it's not going to happen. Do you know the promises of God that you can claim and hold on to? Are you able to distinguish them for just your own wants and desires? That's important for applying this text. What if I'm here and I relate to Sarah? I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm cynical. I would say cry out to God, look for the Lord to show up, listen for him to speak, even if indirectly through means that you wouldn't expect, because God comes and God speaks and God deals with our doubts and he restates his promises and he does so in such a gentle way. What if we know someone who's in this place where Sarah was? How should we as a church or an individual respond to someone like that? Be near to them just as God comes near to them. Listen to them. Speak the promises of God to them gently. Praying for them. Let's make Redeemer Church a safe place where angry and bitter and cynical people can come and and laugh and doubt Because that's real in the world. And God doesn't cast her out or strike her down. He's so patient and gentle. Let's be patient and gentle with folks who are like that in our midst, who are in this place. And whether we're a person who are struggling because we're in this spot or we know someone who is and we're praying for them, I think the biggest thing that we can do is look to Jesus, the risen Christ, He is the very way God comes to us. You want to see what God is like? The scripture tells us you see it in the face of Jesus. He's the one who comes to us. It's through the person of Jesus that God chiefly speaks to us. In the past, he's spoken in various ways and at various times, but now he speaks to us through his son. Run to him, look to him, listen to him. Look to Jesus to deal with our doubts. Continue asking the question, yes, is anything too hard for God? But as New Testament Christians, we can ask the question, if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him give us all things? 
God has a track record of keeping his promises and showing his goodness to us. And it's in the Lord Jesus Christ that we chiefly see the gentleness of God. Extended to broken and messed up and angry and bitter and cynical people. May he come to us in that way. Let's pray and ask him to. Heavenly Father, thank you that you don't give up on angry and bitter and cynical people. Thank you that you are faithful to your promises. I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would work in my heart, that you would work in the hearts of my friends, that you would give us ears to hear you, that you would open our eyes to see your gentleness. Help us to turn from our arrogant pride, thinking we know how the world should work. And I pray that you would help us to come to you and to, yes, tell you the desires of our hearts, the things that make us anxious, but that you would also enable us to say, not my will, but your will be done. Just as you did, Lord Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.